Hello listeners, Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator, bringing you the podcast series, How Did I Get Here? A series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas or maybe just comforted knowing they're not alone, that everybody starts somewhere and everybody goes through times of transition and times of feeling stuck. Today, I'm very excited to be interviewing Donna Dato. Welcome, Donna. Thank you. It's so good to be here, Kathy. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thank you for joining. And I met Donna just recently through a mutual friend. Actually, it was through Philip Aronoff, who I think was interviewed or published uh, a couple weeks ago. So it's kind of fun how once I meet someone through the podcast, then they introduce me to someone else and who has a very interesting story. And Donna certainly does that. So, and Donna is a mindset and success coach. And so, Donna, before we get into what it means to be a mindset and success coach, I always like to start with my icebreaker questions. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, tell us about where you grew up, how many siblings in your family, and where you were in the birth order, as I think all three of those components really shape who we are as an adult. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I grew up in Longview, Texas, which is a town... um, uh, directly east of Dallas, about two hours east of Dallas, just to give people a, a visual there. It was a beautiful town, a great place to to grow up, a little small. I think when I was there, it was like a population of 40,000. And um, I have six siblings. Ooh, um, yes, I am the third. Now, there are two different families because my mother passed away when I was 15 of leukemia. And when Daddy and I had... Uh, three brothers and sisters when she passed away. Daddy remarried uh, uh, later and she had three kids. And so then there was seven of us and I was still the third in the, in the order. Um, So I was the third growing up. And after my mother's death, I was the oldest in the household. (laughs) Oh, because the other two had already Uh moved out. Yeah. Uh Yeah. And we're talk about gender then. Were you first girl, second girl, third girl, or second girl? And there were four girls and three boys. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, how do you think that that shaped you as an adult then? Well, I remember growing up constantly watching my older brother and sister, and when they would get in trouble, I'd go, "Oh, I'm not going to do that." Uh, or when they did something that my parents praised them for, I'd go, Ooh, I'm going to do that. So I grew up watching. Ah. I, I grew up watching a lot and just seeing, cause I didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and I certainly liked being praised. <laughs> so, oh, wow. you know, those were, those were the two that I was constantly, uh, I was doing all the time. All the time. Cause you were watching. You know, I'm a, I'm a middle child, so I'm second born, three girls. And uh, same thing, I, I would say I was a watcher. I watched my older uh-huh. sister and and what she did and what, you know, yeah. what, what, how she was testing the waters, what worked, what didn't. And yeah, so I, I like that, that you were a watcher. So. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, so what activities and things were you involved in as a young person? Uh, I was not involved. I'll tell you what I wasn't involved in. I was not involved in sports other than, you know, neighborhood games and and baseball and stuff like that 
um, you know, we had a basketball goal and I loved bicycling. I still remember the day, Kathy, that I learned how to uh, ride a two-wheeler. That was oh. my first great accomplishment and never have forgotten that that feeling. Um, but I, I was the artist in the family, so I took piano lessons for eight years and I took art lessons uh, until I went to college. And I majored in art. So I majored in art. <laughs> yeah. So that creative gene really stuck out for you. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the reasons I became such a uh, uh, a crackpot problem solver is because I it takes that creativity to be able to oh just think outside the box and and look at problems from all different angles and come up with creative solutions. Oh, I like that title, Crackpot Problem Solver. That should be on your business card. <laughs> I'm going to write it down because that just came out of my mouth. I've never said that before. <laughs> okay, Donna, well, tell us, uh, I'm going to ask you a kind of different question here. On the fun meter, on a scale of one to five, one being couch potato and five being the life of the party, where would you put yourself? Oh, uh, I would say a four. I, uh, my sister, Denise, who's no longer with us, but she was deaf. I mean, she came into a room, Kathy, and people just gravitated towards her. She was the, she was the life of the party. So I'm, I'm comparing myself to her. I'm, I'm naturally, um, an, an introvert. I mean, with all this COVID stuff, I've been happy as a clam holed <laughs> up in my home office and, and I've watched my extroverted friends really struggle so I learned through the years how to navigate a party and how to, you know, um, I, I, it's not, uh, I didn't learn how to have fun. I know how to have fun, but there are times that I'm in a party situation where I just want to go in the next room and pet their dog. I want to be with their dog. <laughs> I've got I've got to get away from the, the, the whole crowds for a bit just to kind of rejuvenate. Yeah. Yeah. You, it's another one of my interviews, uh, she mentioned that too, that she'd rather be in, an, in another room reading a book uh, oh, than be uh -huh. with all, all of the people. So yeah, we have to find what works for us. Yep. Yep. Okay. On a slightly different scale then, the risk meter, uh, but same scale one to five, where do you put yourself in taking oh, risk? Oh, definitely a five. Oh, right there, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's just been one of the hallmarks of my life, much to the um, chagrin of a lot of family members who have taken a more traditional approach to how they live their life. I've always, I've always been the kind of the um, outside. In fact, this, this will sum it up. One of my brother-in-laws, I was living in Austin at the time and my sister and brother-in-law were living in San Antonio. My sister told me this later. He says, Hey, let's go see Donna. Let's go see how the other half lives <laughs> <laughs> because he's, he's very conservative. You know, he's been with the same company since he got out of college. Uh, so, and he's always just kind of shaking his head going, well, only you Donna would do that. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a risk taker. That's interesting because when, when you mentioned that you were a watcher or that you were watching through a lot of life, yeah, um, I would have thought maybe that was going to be a lower score, but you're, mm -mm. you're mm -mm. a risk taker and, but also an observer. So mm -hmm. yeah, very cool. Well, I, I love those two questions 
and the question about, you know, how you grew up, because I really think as we get into your story, all that stuff starts to play out and make sense in terms of how you make decisions. So yeah, uh, before we get into how did I get here, uh, let's talk a little bit about where you are today, and then we'll go back to how did I get here. So okay. tell us what it means to be a mindset and success coach. Well, there are... Really, I've, I've fine-tuned it down just to a few words, and it really cap- captures the essence of what I do. And to be a mindset and su- a success coach, my clients actually learn how to create their future selves. And all the stuff that happens as they are creating their future selves, whether it be Oh, they're they now they can afford a Tesla or they moved into their dream home or they've conquered fear, uh, learned how to push through and, and to live with fear or, you know, how to turn their annual income into their monthly income. Whatever that stuff is, it happens as they are growing into their future selves. So that's what I do. Wow. That's pretty powerful stuff. It is because from my, from my standpoint, I was just talking to a friend of mine on the phone just a little while ago, and I learned so much from my clients and watching them th- this year, watching them pivot and recreate themselves and re- re- recreate themselves again and again. It's just been amazing, and it just confirms over and over again that the tools that I give them work. All they did was just say, okay, I've got the tools. I'm going to go do this now, and they put it into action, and they've every single one of them, their businesses has exploded through COVID. Wow. So it sounds like the tools must really work then. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, I, I can't take credit for them. I didn't create these tools. I use them and I've, I've used them on my, uh, on my own life and creating my future self. And, uh, but they're, they're, uh, some of the tools are over a hundred years old. I just, oh. I just was introduced to Proctor Gallagher Institute and Bob Proctor has this really uncanny way of taking a lot of information and putting it into a package where, everything's there that you need to recreate your life or to create a better life. So I can't take credit for the content. I'm just, I'm just the facilitator of the content. The facilitator, but also then helping people with accountability. I would oh, guess. Then, oh and yeah. Application. Yeah. So. yeah. Cause that's, well, that's really what coaching is. You've got the coach, you've got the materials, the content, and you've got accountability that wraps up coaching right there. Yeah. Well, let's look back then when you were young, junior high-ish. Did you always want to be a coach then? Was this something that you you knew at the time? or? And I guess I already know the answer to this, but <laughs> there was a series of steps that got you here, I'm sure. There was a life that got me here. <laughs> there was a big life. I had no idea in junior high or high school what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do when I grew up. All I knew is that I wanted to get out of Longview and I wanted to um, study art. That's all I knew. But I didn't know anything past that. I knew I wanted to go to a university 
and that's it. That's, that's where I had set my sights. It was, uh, that's as far, you know, I just wasn't one of those persons who knew at age 12 that I was going to be doing something or being something. Yeah. What the career was necessarily. You just, then when you went to college, it was more about art and what you enjoyed doing and then saying, Mm -hmm. well, now where did the college experience take me? Is that kind Mm -hmm. of Yep. Cool. Yep. So what was your degree in then? Uh, art history and philosophy. Ah, and okay. So then you graduate and what do you do with that degree? What's your first job? I went to graduate school because I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> <laughs> really, honestly, I did. I had no idea. I thought after I graduated that I wouldn't know what to do. I knew I didn't want to be a curator. I knew I didn't want to run a museum. I didn't want to run a gallery and those, and I didn't want to be a researcher and write books. And that's really all you can do with art history. And so I thought, well, I'll just go to graduate school and maybe in two more years, I'll figure it out. But guess what? In two more years, I had not figured it out. (laughs) So then what did you do? Well, I went, uh, from job to job. And when I say I went from job to job, I was very fortunate. I started out in nonprofits at a foundation at the University of Texas. And from there, uh, went into the corporate world into uh, to work at a magazine called Texas Monthly. It's a, the biggest regional magazine in the United States. And it was a plum job. Both of those were plum jobs. So I think I interviewed well, <laughs> because you know I wasn't bringing any experience. Uh, other than the little jobs I had during high school and college. Um, and then the, the next 30 years, I, I, I went back and forth between nonprofits and corporate America. Uh, it was just a ping pong back and forth. I could make a lot more money in corporate America, but I would get burned out or, you know, the travel was too much or whatever. And then I would go back into nonprofits. And this is what I figured out, Kathy. When I started my first business, which was a catering business, it felt like home to me. It felt, okay, this is, this is, that I didn't know at the time that I was an entrepreneur. I just knew that I wanted to uh, have this catering business because I was passionate about that. And I started thinking about it. I went, oh, that's why I kept going back to nonprofits. It's because when you're at the upper management or executive level in nonprofits, you have to think and act like an entrepreneur. That's why it felt so at home with me. So really a third of my life was spent in corporate America and two thirds was spent either in nonprofits or as an entrepreneur owning their own, her, her own business. Yeah. So Does that like- make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it sounds like you had an entrepreneur gene kind of in you. Yeah. And then that's what was pulling you to the nonprofit. But then once you started your own business, you went, no, no, this is where I really should have started was in my own business. Yep. That's exactly right. Great great aha moment there. So so what point of your life were you that you finally figured that out? (laughs) I was actually uh, about 40. Ah. 40, 42. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's so interesting about doing these interviews is finding out how people kind of find that, that kind of real niche where they then kind of lights them up again. Uh And in the beginning, it's, you know, exploring, trying different things. And then you follow this path, it seems. 
and and then something kind of lights you up and then maybe then it you know then the light goes out <laughs> and yes. and then you try something else but you just kind of keep you know stepping into the, to different things so so it was in your 40s that's that's good to know because i think someone has this you know, there's this expectation I think we have of young people too is, well, what are you going to be? Oh, I'm going to go to college or I'm not going to go to college. Well, what are you going to be? Well, how will you know? I you, know. Don't have, you don't have any data points about uh, running projects or teams or yeah. activities yeah. or anything to say, this is what feels really good or what I'm good at. So there's yeah. a lot of curiosity and exploration. Well, one of the things I found out just recently, because I, I read a lot about uh, entrepreneurship and business, um, and most of the the vast majority of entrepreneurs become entrepreneurs in their forties. Oh, interesting! Uh -huh. So it's yeah. not in their twenties like you hear mm -mm. the success stories of the you know the college. You know, well, that, yeah, that does happen, but it's it's not the majority. That's that's the exception. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and that would make sense too, because then in your forties, you probably have also established. Uh, some financial stability or security maybe that would enable you to step down that path because that mm -hmm. path a lot of times has a lot of peaks and valleys mm -hmm. financially well as well as emotionally and such. So. Yeah. Yes, you're exactly right. Plus, you know, there's a maturity about it when you're in your forties and uh, also uh, uh, as with me, you know, you just get fed up. I just got fed up with answering to somebody else when I thought I had better solutions <laughs> and I didn't want to do it their way. <laughs> well, let's, well, let's talk about that a bit then. So when you were in corporate and in some of those executive ranks, as you mentioned, what, uh, you know, what kind of roles or what kind of projects or decisions were you working on? What areas were you in? Well, it, that, that's a uh, interesting question, <clears throat> Kathy, because Without knowing it, well, my first few jobs not, but you know, when I got into my 30s, I started gravitating towards companies that um, were growing. And one particular, my, my mentor, Patrick O'Shea, who's no longer with us, he was my first big, big mentor. And uh, we were both working in the semiconductor industry, which is... 99% male dominated, but I was his, uh, started out as office manager. And then as we grew the company from, uh, seven employees to a hundred over 120 in three years, then I became his COO. And then he moved to Colorado and he asked me to come along and I became his VP of global operations, uh, which is really just, I was, I was, a, uh, in charge of, all of the international customer service um, offices. <clears throat> so, uh, but I didn't start out with those kind of positions or with that kind of responsibility. I grew into it into my thirties. Ah, and then just went up the ranks and, and found that that was a fit for you. So it was more of an operations. Operations and, okay. and, and solving problems. Customer service, all customer service is, besides being pleasant, you know, and helping people is problem solving. Ah. And so that's why it was such a good fit for me. So back to that crackpot problem solver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to use all that creativity and, uh -huh. and being nice to people skills and. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. And listening. Yeah. So what types of nonprofits were you drawn to then? You said you kind of went from 
corporate then over to the mm-hmm. nonprofit space? Was there, you know, did you get fed up at that organization or did something happen at that organization that caused you to leave? Well, the, uh, uh, one of the organizations, one of the nonprofits was a museum in Austin called Laguna Gloria. And actually I moved to Houston. And so I got another job at another nonprofit in Houston, uh, which was the Society for Performing Arts. So those were arts oriented. Uh, but then uh, the last nonprofit I was with uh, was uh, Dress for Success here in Denver. And I was the executive director. And I was really passionate about that mission, which was helping uh, disenfranchised women get back into the workforce. And that's actually when I became a coach. Ah, so that was the start of the coaching. Uh-huh. Yeah. While you were still in a, a leadership role at a, at a nonprofit. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about that transition. Well, it happened organically. Uh, my program director at the time, Amara Martin, uh, she and I put together a program because Dress for Success, their, their first mission was to give these uh, disenfranchised women clothes so they could interview. And then once they got the job, they got a full wardrobe so they didn't have to spend their first paychecks on um on clothing and um but we realized that they needed more than that so we created a career center and that was helping them from everything to the initial handshake and listen you know looking somebody in the eye to knowing uh how to interview you know how to put together a resume all of that and but also you know we got into you know how do you get along with crappy co-workers and crappy bosses and how do you how do you negotiate uh, a raise or, and a promotion. And after we implemented these programs through workshops, Amber came to me and she said, you know, there's a lot of women that are attending and they need one-to-one type of coaching. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And Kathy, as soon, I mean, it was the first day, as soon as I started doing that, it was, I was like, where has this been all my life? This is the most amazing thing to have this type of connection with someone and to help them on their journey and to help them see things in a different light or expand their awareness of certain things, expand their awareness of themselves and to elevate that that self-image. And then in the midst of all of that, um, while I was there, other executive directors and development directors just started seeking me out for individual coaching on the side, which I would do during my lunch break or after uh, in the evening hour, sometimes on the weekend, uh, because by that time I'd had about 15 years experience, mostly in fundraising. Cause even when you're an executive director, you, you know, all about fundraising, you have to be a fundraiser. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, it just, naturally happened. So when I left dress, uh, I, I just kept uh, coaching nonprofit executives and boards of directors. Ah, so you went from being a coach to individuals um, as part of dress for success, but then that expanded outside of that. And then, then yep. turned that coaching into a practice. So yep. it was part of a program that you got started and then something that you evolved into afterwards. Yeah, unfortunately, after a year of coaching boards of directors and non and uh, executive directors, I realized I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, it it just wasn't my cup of tea. 
Ah, well, was it wrong timing? Did you go back to corporate then or did you? No, it wasn't timing. What I realized was that I had morphed. I had evolved into knowing a whole lot about business and knowing how to grow a business by that point. And there are a lot of nonprofits who think because they have this wonderful cause, this wonderful mission, that they operate outside the purview of business principles. And that's Mm -hmm. not true. Nonprofits are are businesses and they have to be run as businesses. And I felt like I was beating my head against the wall. And I I don't like that feeling. I want to see results. That's, that's the bottom line for me is you, you know, you work with me and you're going to get results. And I, I didn't like that, that sense of frustration and, and not being able to give it everything I knew I could give it because there were restrictions on their part. Yeah. 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 That's interesting about the nonprofits. I, I always liked the saying that I heard once that was nonprofit is a tax status. It's not a business model. And, <laughs> God, I wish I'd had that. <laughs> and I, I think many times people, you know, they get into it because of the mission and the cause and they're so mm-hmm. excited and there's a, and, and maybe sometimes there's an escape because, well, I don't want it to be about the money or capital and all this, but if you don't have the money, you can't do the great service that Absolutely. you set out to do. So it is, Absolutely. It is definitely a business. Yes. Uh, it's just not nonprofit yeah. tax status. So yeah. uh, anyway, so, okay. So tell us then how you got, so I, I could tell when you really lit up when I asked you, well, what did you do today? And it's like, everybody gets results. So results are very important to you, obviously. Yes. Yeah, that's, um, that's the bottom line. That's the name of the game. How did you find your niche now then? Well, it had two more iterations after coaching nonprofits. The first iteration is through a friend of mine. Her name is Donna, too. She introduced me to a coaching curriculum called Top Six. And this curriculum uh, is designed to help entrepreneurs uh, get into six figures fast because this is this is the the icky thing. Only six percent of entrepreneurs ever break into six figures, and it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way at all. But after a few years coaching with that curriculum, I realized that there were they were just a lot of fundamental things uh, that uh, my my curriculum did not address, and things like uh, self sabotage procrastination, self-image, um, you know, how do we get out of our own way? And why do we get in our way? Um, attitude, you know, why do we do the things that we know we shouldn't do? And why don't we do the things, in, whatever that is, the opposite yeah. of that. <laughs> always, that's always tricky for me to say. And, um, and I found another program that I could incorporate, which addresses all of those things. It's how to how to conquer procrastination, how to get rid of self-sabotage. And that's the curriculum I have now. And that's what I coach on. I still have my business building tools from the top six. Uh, and I use those, but it's expanded way beyond on just entrepreneurs now where, you know, right now I'm, I'm coaching a school teacher who uh, is working on her self-image and her confidence. So that's why I say what I'm doing now is helping my clients or guiding my clients to create their future selves. 
because that's what they grow into. And I give them the steps along the way and the tools for them to do that. Oh. So that's, that's how all that kind of went from more from one to another. And it ended up where I am now. And where you are today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's you've got mindset in your title, right? Yes. It's not just business tools. Here's the business tools. It's about mindset and success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at what are the results uh, that you're going to get. So, yeah. Yep. Outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. It really, I've, since in the because I've been coaching now for 10 years and this is the first time that I, I sit there and I go I've got the complete package oh it feels so good <laughs> <laughs> well that's awesome because I would say that um for for many times I don't know that I've ever been able to say I've got the complete package I do think I'm I'm looking for things and sometimes that was back when I was in corporate myself and in a career, I felt like I was kind of, well, what's the next thing? You were mm-hmm. kind of searching for that next thing. I don't know that I ever sat there and went, oh, I'm finally in my dream job. Yeah. So would, would uh, you yeah. say you're, you're in your dream job now then? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and, and fortunately, I have something to compare it to because I did have a catering business and I had a renovation business. And when I was in those businesses, I was passionate. I loved the work. I loved uh, taking over the the parties and the events and you know uh, all of that for somebody and creating a magical event for them or a magical evening. It just gave me so much satisfaction. And when I was renovating, it was the same thing. I loved designing uh, a room or a half a house for somebody and then putting it into action. But when I started coaching it, the passion is so greater than what I had in those other two businesses. It's, it's just hard to even compare. This is, this is, um, I get goose. I got the goosebumps now just talking about it. <laughs> I didn't get a lot of goosebumps talking about renovation. <laughs> but you do talking about people, you know, helping people with their mindset and being yes. successful. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, that it, it seems like there's um, nothing you haven't done. I, I mean, I think about all the different areas that you've been in. You've been in art, but then you are also in semiconductors, renovation, uh, catering. Any other industries in there that we missed? Now you're coaching and leadership, which a lot of that had leadership and probably coaching in it. But yeah, yeah. Publishing. I was at the magazine. Um, oh, that's right. And oh yeah, then I was um, uh, working at a law office and in administration, you know, taking care of their personnel files and uh, insurances. Didn't that that didn't last very long? It was only about a year, year and a half, because that was pretty dull, boring work. <laughs> Not as creative as Donna likes to be. <laughs> That's exactly right. I did love the principals, though. Uh, the the lawyers who owned the the firm they were beautiful ethical people it it I it just gave me a great feeling to know that there are some really great lawyers out there ah that is good to know mm-hmm. so since you've covered so many different industries and it sounds like a lot of different kind of roles within that industry what do you think has kind of served you best and helped you be successful is there a particular characteristic that you can pinpoint? 
Ooh, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> the problem solving has definitely worked in my favor. That's just, that's just been, um, it's something that everybody needs, or at least when I was around the people, because uh, my bosses would come to me and present, you know, what, what do you think about this? Can you help me work through this? So that was one of the hallmarks. Um, uh, let's see. Being, and what kind of problem? I mean, were these problems that were, did they feel easy to you, but they were big for someone else? Or did they feel hard for you too, but you just had kind of a way to? Both, both. Um, some of the hardest ones are the, are the personal ones are the ones where, you know, they're, they're having uh, really uh, struggling with their relationship with their spouse or with their children. The, you know, the personal ones, I think, are the hardest. When it came to business, it was basically just figuring out different ways of doing things or, or creating a, a new model. And you, that's usually what we had to do was create a new model to attack a certain project. It's a lot easier to create something than to massage an old one. Um, but I'm trying to think um, if there's uh, other characters. Your initial question was what what characteristics, what traits? Yeah, kind of served you when you look back at the strengths yeah. that you would go, oh, there. This is after a yeah. certain time. I've had enough data points to know well my right. strengths in. You know, problem solving could be one of them. Maybe right. it's how you okay. relate people, or are you well? Active listening has really served me well, and it's something I work on a lot. I'm still not a great active listener, so I I learned that to become an active listener, I had to create questions and and purposely create questions, even in the social settings and in networking. And this is one of the things I, I help my clients to do is create the questions where they um, really know how to connect with someone. So that was another one. But I think also is persistence of just now not giving up. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it took, it, and, and this is another one too, is um, self-love and self-forgiveness because it, it, and that took a long time and, and I'm still working on it to this day, but I was well into my forties when I, purposely stopped beating myself up you know because we we're we all make mistakes and the mistakes are fabulous because that's where we learn that's where we extract all the information that we need to to make the next mistake <laughs> yeah so i learned to um to not see mistakes as a bad thing but mistakes i embraced uh, and, you know, it took me 20, 25 years to get to that point, but that has really served me well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What what helped you get to that point? Did you read a book or maybe you had a mentor or was there a, you know, like a pivotal moment that something happened and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, this is just too much energy on beating myself up. I know. Yeah. How did you make that switch? Because that's not, a, that's not an easy switch. It was through my mentor, Patrick O'Shea. He was the, Kathy, he was the first person I'd ever met where, because I knew him personally and I was close to his family personally. And then, of course, we worked together. And he was the first person who, what I call, he, he had mastered living inside out. 
he and what I mean by that is he it wasn't that he was always in control, but he had the ability to not allow all the crap, all the circumstances, everything that's happening outside of us to control who he was and how he was going to respond. I learned how to respond from him and instead of reacting. And he was the one who kept saying, that was a great mistake. As I remember the first time I, I, I had ordered some, the wrong furniture or something like that. And he just laughed and smiled and said, what did you learn from this? And I looked at him like, what? <laughs> what did you just ask me? And, and he put it into practice. He never, ever viewed a mistake as something bad. There was always something good. And what was good about it was it extracting, you know, the lessons, what we learn. Yeah. So, no, he was the one and he, and he lived it. He, he lived it by. And so I learned by example. Great role model, it sounds like. Oh, he was he was wonderful. I don't, I, you know, I think it would have taken me, I know it would have taken me a lot longer to figure that out if it hadn't been for Patrick. Yeah. So he's role modeling it, but then he's also taking you through it by asking you questions and, and, yep. and by not, there wasn't a, um, a, this huge negative consequence. Like when you thought you made a mistake that, oh, right. I'm going to get fired or I'm going to get yelled at or uh-huh. happened. No, it was, well, what did you learn from this? And that's, mm-hmm. that, yeah, that does then take you through. So then that also helps you see, well, now when I'm leading people, this is, it felt good for me in this way. So now when I, when you lead others, you probably wanted to operate in that same way. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it was so freeing. It was just so freeing. It's, it's like a, you know, a weight off my shoulders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Live. He lived from the inside out. Yeah, in fact, that's one of the uh, principles of my uh, my coaching now is is guiding people and giving them the tools so they too can live from the inside out. That's where that's why I said I co- you know my coaching is all about my clients learning how to create their future self. Well, that future self is the self that doesn't doesn't react to everything that's going on around them. They, they've learned how to respond. That's one of the characteristics of their future self. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say as an entrepreneur, there is a lot of noise out there in your own oh. head. About what you oh, should God, yes. Am I doing enough? And then other people love to give their advice about what <laughs> we should be doing and <laughs> different ways that you can do it. So yeah, it's really, um, grounded into being living from the inside out is, is yeah that's that's the word being grounded yeah being I centered uh-huh. love this term and i think this is what i've observed over the years too is what coaches do so i'm giving you i'm putting lumping you in that whole space of coaches is you can put words to things that we didn't know was going on in our lives oh yeah you know what I mean? like that that phrase then becomes more meaningful to me now and i get it uh, versus, you know, oh, I, I, you know, I've tamed that little voice in my head. Um, you know, that's one way you could look at it. Uh-huh. Or I turn down the volume maybe on the little voice in my head. But 
you know, living from the inside out or, you know, loving yourself, self-love, that kind of thing. But anyway, yeah. that's what I, I love about when, and I've worked with a lot of coaches over the years for a variety of things in corporate. And uh, actually when I was in nonprofit, I was in nonprofit for a stint too, as a board member, but then also as an interim president. And then, um, you know, being the entrepreneur, I will say, I don't think I inherited the entrepreneurial gene. I don't think when I landed here, I had that big aha like you did. <laughs> really? Yeah. What, when did when did you grow into it? Or uh, I'm growing into it. I, I there's many things I love about it in terms of the creativity and the flexibility that comes with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are times where I'm like, wow, sometimes it might be easier to go back to the corporate. Um, but then again, then you, you know the grass is always greener. And mm -hmm. then I have lunch with friends, or um, well, back when you could have lunch, um, <laughs> or, you know, out with you know my friends in the um, in that space. And there's part of times I'm drawn to that, going, oh, listen to the big projects they're working on. And then I, then you hear the oh, but listen to the big problems they're having with their yeah. with their boss or their coworkers yeah. or the this yeah. that they you know still are struggling with a particular. Uh, area within their business so I'm like uh -huh. you know I'm I'm just fine and I'm, uh, I'm okay to, I'm okay I don't have to be chasing something all the time yeah so and uh so the, I guess those are some of my odds but we're not here to talk about my journey so <laughs> well that's fascinating though it's a good point I think every entrepreneur especially because you know entrepreneurship's a roller coaster and um when you're on the down downside of that roller coaster everyone has doubts and thoughts about oh maybe i should just go back to you know my old job or find an, another job in corporate america because it can be exhausting to to be an entrepreneur and that's one of the things that my clients nearly every single client in fact i think every single client has told me they said donna for the first time in my life i feel like i have a surrogate partner that i'm not i'm not carrying the weight of my business because you're here with me and that's that's just one of the highest compliments that they could give me yeah yeah absolutely but there is a lot of weight uh on our shoulders being an entrepreneur yeah or there can be yeah well don i could talk to you all afternoon about different leadership concepts and and some other things but we probably should start to wrap up here so um Darn. i know i know i would love to keep talking with you and, and i wish we could well maybe we could maybe have lunch one day once the uh, this is lifted but um, yes definitely a long lunch because there's so much i want to ask about you <laughs> is there um any words of wisdom that you might kind of share as a parting um kind of parting gift or just when you think back on your life you've already kind of shared with us you know about your your problem solving and an active listener, but is there any other kind of words of wisdom that would be uh, helpful to people, you know, just starting out or maybe in transition or feeling stuck things that helped you maybe when you were in those situations? Well, uh, good question. Uh, the problem, there's probably pages of it, but I would, uh, I would say embrace change, truly embrace it uh and growth and keep challenging i'm you know every day i challenge myself to be just even one percent better than uh the day before because those incremental we think that the ahas um 
well, it's not even the ahas. We think that the big changes of our life, you know, come all of a sudden. And really, they don't. They come in just little bitty incremental steps. And then all of a sudden, you look back and go, wow, have, am I a different person? Or look at what I've accomplished. But it's just the little things. And so that's where the persistence comes in and forming the good habits. And, and uh if you're an entrepreneur, or even if you're not an entrepreneur, hire a coach, invest in yourself. You know, we invest in cars, we invest in houses and our clothes and in all kinds of things. We invest in our children and set aside money for their education, but we don't invest in ourselves. And that's one of the biggest investments that you can have. And the good news is that whatever you're working on, whatever you want to accomplish, you're going to accomplish it. 10 times faster when you have a partner, when you have somebody objectively going, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> do you really want to do that? Or, or, and just, you know, having somebody holding you accountable. And that's why, that's why coaches, you'll, you'll talk to any coach and they always, if they're, if they don't have a coach, they're in between coaches mm. because we have seen the value. We have seen how fast, something can be accomplished when you do have that surrogate partner with you guiding and helping you accountable. Um, and take the risk, make the mistakes. I call it imperfect action. Just act, take imperfect action and just clean it up along the way. <laughs> well, you're right. There's pages and pages. I love all of that. I especially love that invest in yourself. Cause many times you're right. We don't do that. No. And, um, and I've done that over the years. I will say when I launched my business, I invested in a coach and she got me up and running in 90 days. Yeah. And I would have thought it would take me a year. That's what I uh -huh. had in my head for some crazy. It takes a year to launch a business. That's just what it is. And she's like, no, this is nope. a 90 day thing. And I'll walk yep. you through it. And I had no name. I had nothing. And I went from name to launch in 90 days. So I, yep. I really get the power, the power of coaching, investing in yourself, embracing yes. yourself. So. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you get it, Kathy. Um, I just want more people get it because um, talking about a, a, an act of self-love, that's when you, we, when we invest in ourselves, that is self-love. Oh, I yeah. hadn't heard it that way before. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 I also love that you said that, you know, big change kind of happens over time, not in big aha moments. Yeah. That's partly why I really love doing this podcast too, is I do think there's so much value in taking the time to pause and look back on your career, look back on your life um, as you start to move forward on into anything, right? It just gives you that sense of accomplishment. I mean, I've, these podcast interviews trigger so many wonderful memories for me. They also trigger kind of crazy oh. memories and times when I'm like, Oh, I remember when I was struggling with that or uh, yeah. and then I, me the other day I thought, I, I, I was recalling my career in a certain way. And then I started journaling on it and realized the facts didn't line up, up with how I was looking at it. And so anyway, it was, it was, ah. this, this thing has been very interesting to uh, take people on their journey. It's yeah. taking me on my journey, but I, I do think it helps people recognize where they've come from. And then hopefully then that gives them maybe that uh, a bigger step forward going forward. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been interesting answer, uh, answering your questions because some of this stuff I hadn't thought about in a long time. And so it's actually helped me put some uh, uh, 
some things into perspective that I didn't, uh, that I hadn't put in perspective before. Yeah. So well, thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. I'm so glad to hear that because I also, uh, you know, it's for the listeners, but it's also for each of us and yeah. um, you know, each, each person I interview, I feel so connected at a different level. And I, then when I'm out talking to other people, I'm referencing, well, you know, I just interviewed someone who did this and then this happened. And anyway, <laughs> I have this, this encyclopedia, if there's such a thing now, I guess that's just called Google in my head. <laughs> now that's what we call it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no longer encyclopedias. It's just Google. <laughs> yeah. And which takes us directly to Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Just need more information that's not accurate. Yeah. Because we, oh, we know, we, yeah, because we all need more information, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Donna, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure to get to know you. I'm so glad that uh, Philip decided that we should connect. Me and too. You brought a lot of insight today, so I think listeners will, will love this. So I'll go ahead and wrap up by saying, listeners, if you've loved today's interview, please subscribe below, and then you'll be alerted of interviews in the future. If you have any questions for me or for Donna, please, you can post them on my website, lifestorycurator.com, which is where all these interviews are posted. Plus, I will list her um, contact information if you'd like to get a hold of her directly on her website, because uh, after you hear her coaching spiel, I'm sure you're going to want to talk to her a little bit more. So anyway, listeners, have a great day. Stay safe and stay well. Thank you.